Hello and welcome to One and Done TV. I am one of your co-hosts, Ian Hamilton. And I'm just a regular jokester, John Polking. And this is the podcast where we review television shows and sometimes for an entire month we review streaming services that were canceled after one season. Isn't that right, John? That's right. Sometimes we are dancing for four weeks straight on the same grave and we still are trying to figure out why in all sweet heck it was canceled, what it left behind, and ultimately what made it one and done. Today is week four of Quibuary. Woo! What a month it's been. How has your Quibuary been? It's been good. I mean, short and sweet. Um, the nice thing about Quibuary is if something's too rich, you know, you, you enjoy it for what it is, but then you move on quickly. And if something's bad, then you just, you know, purge, puke it out, move mm-hmm. on real quickly, rally and roll, baby. Mm-hmm. How's your Quibuary been, John? My Quibuary's been good. You know, I feel like I've learned a lot about myself. I took some time for reflection, obviously not too much time, no more than seven minutes a day. But I really just made those seven minutes count and were nice and tight and efficient with it. And so I feel good going into... March. I was going to think of a fun name for March, but nope. It's just March. Quibiori's <laughs> over, or at least almost over. But before we get into our final category of Quibiori, the comedy shows, let's talk a little bit about what else we're watching. Ian, what have you been consuming? John, I feel like this is the first time in a while that I've watched something for pure enjoyment's sake. I was thinking about last week how you talked about how I don't really watch reality shows mm-hmm. and I don't really watch competition series other than Jeopardy. I don't really watch anything unscripted, I guess. Yeah, like, it's just sad. It, I'm so sorry that you do that to yourself. So I turned on the Alan Cumming show on Peacock. The Traders? Yes, the I Traders. have not watched it yet. I'm excited to hear what you think. It is bad. I turned it off after about 30 minutes. Uh, It's a 40-something minute show. They spend 20 minutes introducing a bunch of people we don't care about. And then when they finally got around to the first trial, it was really uninteresting. Um, They do a weird thing where they mix celebrities and real people. Or like D-list E-list, F-list, Z-list celebrities even, John. Hey, Kate Chastain is on that show, and she is all the way at the B-plus list for me. Speaking of the B-plus list for me, so I turned that off, and I started watching Julia on HBO. Oh, uh, yeah. The show about Julia Child. And did I start watching it because David High Pierce is on it? Yes. Also, because it seemed like a nice show about cooking that me and Natalie could enjoy together. And guess what? I was more into it than Natalie was. Mm. I watched all eight episodes in like three days and it was nice and it was sweet and it was sweet to watch a show about two old people in love. And even the two things that it's about, which are making a TV show and becoming famous, which are, Feels like every movie and TV show is about that right now. It didn't bother me that much. So that was pretty nice. I wouldn't even say it's like great. I think it's probably like 
some combination of what people get out of watching Marvelous Miss Maisel and Ted Lasso. I think I got that out of Julia. I was like, this is nice. This is a nice watch. It's nice that something can make you feel warm as opposed to your usual cold, cold, dark exterior. Exactly. What are you watching, John? I have actually not watched that much in the past week, but I would love to call out a different movie that I saw at Sundance. Because mm-hmm. I talked about Bad Press last time. I want to talk about my favorite comedy that I watched, which checked all of my boxes. Theater Camp. It's a movie about musical theater and about summer camp. And for some reason, summer camp movies to me are like the one genre that you can do almost no wrong. They bring me the most consistent entertainment. I it Maybe it's the trees. Maybe it's the lake. Maybe it's the shenanigans. I don't really know what it is, but something about seeing kids in cabins and just trying to figure their stuff out brings me so much joy. And Theater Camp is a movie that was co-written by four friends, co-directed by two of them, very Christopher Guesty, improvisational, and it just felt like one of those movies where these people took from their lives and were just trying to make themselves laugh. And I felt that, and I was reading reviews of it. Some were very enthusiastic. Some were just like, this is going to make a few people very happy and not me. And I was one of those few people. It just hit right in my pleasure center. You're in an exclusive club, John. That's Thank exciting. You. Thank you. I feel good. I got my plaque. What's interesting to me is that I grew up doing musicals, and you're a much bigger fan of musicals than I am. And you grew up playing football, and I think I'm a bigger fan of football than you are. Undoubtedly. Do you think it's something where we both like feel like we know the ins of and outs of it, and we're just like not that interested anymore? No, I was never really that interested in football. You played it for a long time, though. Seven years, yeah. But yeah. I only played the seventh year because I was like, you know what? I haven't liked it for the last like two. I'm going to give it one more. And it was truly one of the worst seasons of anything. And we've seen some terrible seasons of stuff on this show. But just generally as a season, my last season of football was really bad. I finished off my football career with a game that lasted four and a half hours long because it was twice delayed by rain and thunderstorms. We didn't score a single point. It was cold. (laughs) It was muddy. The cheerleaders left. My dad and like Steve Nelson's dad were the only two people that were in the stands on our side. And my girlfriend at the time was cheerleading for the other team. So really, I was just hoping to finally get to say it's showtime. Five, four, three, two, one, showtime! Quibby! Quibby! More, more Quibby. Ian, we've been talking about Quibby for the last three weeks. We got one more week of Quibby. Can you please just tell me for once, what is a Quibby? A Quibby is when your power flickers out just for a second and you've been waiting for a video game to download for 30 hours because it's such a large file size. And then it 
kills all of the progress you've made and you have to start over again. I'm proud to say you finally got it. I knew it. I Maybe you Googled it. Is that I it? did. I, I'm reading the definition off my phone. Uh, okay. I thought we had some integrity on the show, but I guess it is no. gone no. with the Quibi. For those that, for some reason, didn't listen to the last three weeks of Quibuary, Quibi was a short-lived, short-form, premium content platform that started in April of 2020 and lasted less than a year after basically burning through $1.75 billion of initial investment. We've talked about why Quibi was started, what the launch was like, what some of its downfall was, and now I want to talk about its ultimate demise. There's some interesting stuff with the sort of downfall of Quibi. It premiered in April of 2020. October of 2020 is when they announced that they would be shuttering in December. So about six months, as I've mentioned before, they had a 90-day free trial with a very low conversion rate of people that were actually going to pay. There was a big sort of hullabaloo, though, when Quibi went under because, again, they had so much of this content that was built up. And here was one thing that I thought was really interesting as I was doing my research. When Jeffrey Katzenberg and Meg Whitman said, Quibi, we're donezo. People were like, well, where do these shows go? Quibi didn't actually own any of the shows that it made. What? Yeah. They licensed it. And they paid for the production of the shows. But the copyright for the shows was with the creators. Wow. They were able to sell the content after I think like a couple of years. Maybe those terms haven't even like come to fruition yet because this was just 2020. But I don't know. I thought that was really interesting that you throw so much in there and you still are giving sort of power to the people that are driving the creative vision for that. I actually found that to be pretty admirable of Quibi. Yeah, that flips the script on what we talked about last week, where I assumed that they just paid people a bunch of money, but kept I'm, all the ownership of everything. Yeah, guess you were I don't wrong. know what their business model was then. This nope. doesn't make any damn sense. It was going to be people paying to stream all this stuff. They were going to get that sweet, sweet subscription revenue that never actually came in, I guess. Right, so that people would watch stuff on their phones, but only when they're traveling, not if they're sitting around doing nothing and definitely not with other people. Exclusively watching hashtag free Rayshon on a bus. Only on a bus. (laughs) Peak Quibi right there. Peak Quibi. This happened in October. A mere three months later, all of Quibi's content was on the Roku channel, which is where we were able to watch all of the shows that we've discussed this month. For free, too. Yeah. And again, $1.75 billion in investment. I think at least $1 billion of that was just for content alone. Quibi sold its entire content library to Roku for a reported less than $100 million. So they leased the lease for cents on the dollar? They did. They did. I want to continue this nursery rhyme that I feel like you were trying to start, but I got nothing. Mm, I got nothing either. It just kind of sounded good when I said it. It did. But I don't know. I'm really happy that this content 
lived on, even though I've had very mixed reactions to the stuff that we have covered. It's just nice that there is a home for all of this work that went into these shows. So we've talked about competition shows. We talked about reality shows. We talked about dramas. And now we are on to the comedies. Ian, do you like comedy? I don't like comedy, even though I do consider myself a comedian. It pains me. That's why it's my job. You are just bleeding your work. You, I am. I'm so jaded. I'm such a like classic jaded. Like, ah, oh, you want to get into comedy, huh? Yeah, good luck with that. Uh, like, get out of my way sort of performer. Like, I really have been doing it for a while. I really do have a love-hate relationship for it. And so much of it seems more like work to me than fun. So why do I keep doing it, John? Because you bought the hat, you kept the mustache, so you might as well adopt the personality that goes with it. (laughs) Uh, It's for moments like that. That's why I keep doing it. What was cool about comedies on Roku and all the genres in general was we have seen some different types of storytelling and Quibi doing comedy, turning stories into seven minutes worth of shows. They're different. They're different ways to experience content and tell many stories. And that's what today's shows get me excited about talking about, because these are two very different shows that had two very different goals and I can see a world in which they could succeed. I completely agree with that because these felt more like shows than concepts. I mean, they are very concept heavy, at least like Kirby Jenner is. But when we talked about the dramas, we talked about how it just felt like it was one long story that was broken up into tiny parts. They did a really good job for both of these shows fitting stories into episodes while still making those stories tie together. When you finished an episode, it felt complete. You felt like you had knocked off a chapter of something and there was the sort of openness to let it breathe in the time between episodes, which I didn't feel like was the same thing for particularly the dramas where yes. an episode would end sometime mid scene, sometimes at the end of one scene leading into the next, but there was a chaptering, if that's a word, it's not, but we're going to make it one that I really liked about it. Yeah. These shows both felt like you watched an episode, you got what you wanted out of it. And even though there's a cliffhanger for the next episode, you could pick it back up whenever. Mm -hmm. So what are these shows? What did they do? What did they leave behind? Well, we're going to be talking about Flipped, and then we're going to be talking about Kirby Jenner. And we're going to be doing it right after this commercial break. And now a word from our sponsors. Hi, this is Ian, and I'm trying to do this commercial as quickly as possible. Please review and rate us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Hive Social at One and Done TV. Email us oneanddonepod at gmail.com with any suggestions or thoughts. If you haven't hit the skip forward 15 seconds button yet, I will be amazed. Okay, enjoy the show. 
as I've mentioned before, I was a day one quibber. I quibbed with all the quibsters that could have possibly quibbed while they were quibbing their quibs. Flipped, which is the first show we're talking about today, was also a day one quibby comedy. It was produced by Funny or Die, a recognizable comedy brand. It featured two big comedy stars right at the front of the poster in Will Forte and Caitlin Olson. Had a nice big concept and ran for 11 whole episodes. As we mentioned before, this is, to me, like a really interesting example of a serialized comedy. We've really moved away from the sort of episode by episode, here's a scenario, here's a scenario, here's a scenario, something that's self-isolated. And just in comedies in general, I feel like we have adopted this type of storytelling, you know, one story for an entire season or an entire series. Ian, I feel like you are more of a traditionalist when it comes to the type of sitcom that you gravitate towards, like the Seinfelds or the Curb Your Enthusiasms, the things The Office, the communities. uh, Yeah. Where it's, well, I mean, that's what sitcoms and comedies were forever. Same cast, cast is funny. You know everything you need to know about them so that you can just plug them into a scenario and go wrap it up next week. New silly thing. I'd say that those are my comfort shows that I watch because they're easy. Mm-hmm. It's like you watching Below Deck. It's nothing to you <laughs> almost, right? I mean, like, I wouldn't say exactly that. I am incredibly invested in Below Deck. I'm thinking about getting It goes down easy. How's that? And you can turn half your brain off if you want. Are you really thinking about getting a tattoo? No, I am not. But it made you turn your head. It better be below deck if you do. Anyway. (laughs) uh, So those are the shows I watch a lot because they're easy to me. But I would say that I actually do enjoy more the modern thing of you can keep a storyline going for a season. And actually, I would say that Curb was one of the first ones to start doing that because Seinfeld even has storylines that go for a couple episodes. But Curb generally starts with something, meanders for a while, and then ends with it in the last episode. But you wouldn't know that. No, I was just throwing out titles without any investment in them whatsoever. That is right. I don't care about Seinfeld. I don't care about Curb Enthusiasm. I don't actively dislike them. They just aren't on my radar. But we're not talking about either of those shows. We're talking about Flipped, which essentially follows two wannabe home renovators and how they get sort of mixed up into the wild world of the Mexican drug cartels and how they can adapt their skills to, let's just say, a bigger budget. So it starts out with these two characters, Jan and Cricket. Great names. Uh, Right. Caitlin Olsen being Cricket, by the way. And they hate their jobs, and they're good at home renovating, and they're jealous of the Property Brothers type show, fake show that's on their show. And they want their own. Yeah. The fake Property Brothers played by real life husband and wife, Jerry O'Connell and Rebecca Romaine. Okay. So she dropped the Stamos and picked up an O'Connell. They go out, they renovate this $3,100 piece of garbage house. 
where they find $500,000 in cash and they don't take that cash and spend it. They make their own Property Brothers type show and then the cartel finds them and is so impressed with what they've done that they kind of human traffic them around as renovators within the Mexican cartel, right? Right. So it's the two of them. And then this uh, sort of initial drug kingpin guy is played by Arturo Castro, who people would know as Jaime from Broad City. And he just has this sort of menace to it, but also this glee and this pure amazement. He calls it, uh, most people wouldn't have the cojones to steal from him and then stay completely still in the place where they stole the money from him. But they really did deck out this tiny, tiny home in the middle of the desert. I really like some of their upgrades that they made to the house. Ian, did you have any that stuck out to you? For me personally, I really like the 1,000-watt surround sound system that carried throughout the ceilings of the entire home. Oh, I really enjoyed the thousand bottle wine cellar that they put in despite <laughs> the structural integrity of the home, not being able to um, accommodate it. Also, they put in one of those wall vacuum things that I've been hearing about for the last year where... Okay, that's something I was really confused by. What is that? Basically, it's a vacuum system that you put in your walls that's constantly sucking and all you have to do is plug a hose into the hole in the wall and then you can just vacuum that room. Interesting. Yeah, I don't really know the benefit of it, but I'm pretty sure I have a friend that just got one installed, actually. I just got a big person vacuum for the first time that you can plug into the wall and it sucks up real good. So I'm still on just like 1950s appliances. I didn't realize we made it that far into the future. John, you've owned a home for over a year and a half. Well, we had, okay, this is a, <laughs> this is a whole thing. We you just had, got a vacuum. No, we had a vacuum cleaner. It was just cordless and you could only do it for like a half hour at a time, which when you have an, a home, a house, it doesn't really do the job. It was great for apartments. But we were trying to do it to clean our whole house, and it turned into a whole debacle because you can't get a whole house in 30 minutes. It's just not possible. So, man, we actually, no, it wasn't even 30 minutes. It was like 15 minutes. This is a tangent. But now that we're talking about vacuum cleaners, if you live in a place with cockroaches, best thing to do is to get a <laughs> vacuum cleaner with a hose because it can suck the roaches up faster than you can smash them. And you wouldn't be surprised to see cockroaches in the what they call sort of an abandoned meth lab, right? That's what this initial house was. Hey, and but they turn it into a beautiful home, John, with quite the wine accommodations. <laughs> You're really focused on that wine. I really like the idea of the contractor that they were working with who was digging the hole, and he's like, we could probably fit a hundred bottles in here. They're like, no, it needs to be a thousand. He's like, I can't keep digging or else it, the house is basically going to collapse in on the hole that we're making. And cricket, Caitlin Olson goes, 
is this a matter of money? And he just goes, no, it's a matter of gravity. <laughs> and they shut the door on him because reality is too small for their dreams. Yeah, Will Forte basically at one point describes them as two people with vision living amongst the blind. And that is how they see themselves. They are the heroes of their story. They just need their chance. And they are renovating this house because it's part of this big competition that not HGTV, HRTV, the Home Renovation Television Network, got to get around those copyrights. They are holding this sort of grassroots thing to like find the next big host for their network. And they want to create their sizzle reel. Right. And so that's how they get on this whole adventure. And one of the great running gags of the show was that when the cartel finds them, their lives keep being threatened. And every time that they're afraid they're going to die, anytime that most people would be concerned about their life, they're much more concerned about their sizzle reel yeah. and the footage getting out there. And they're like, we... We can't die before our sizzle reel gets out here. It's not like we can't die. It's we need to preserve the sizzle reel. Is an artist truly an artist unless everyone has seen their art is something that's thrown around. Yeah. they And that's honestly the sort of driving thing that keeps them alive is they are able to position themselves as these great artists who haven't lived up to their potential. And so Arturo Castro's character keeps them alive. And as you mentioned, they kind of get shuffled over to a few different people in the cartel, including Andy Garcia's character, who's like a step above Arturo Castro. And I really like that dynamic between that family because it was Andy Garcia and Eva Longoria playing his wife. Eva Longoria has renovated their house, but apparently everything that she has done to the house has just made it look much worse. (laughs) And they keep talking about how they've gone through a few interior designers, but they never really clarify what the term gone through or they didn't work out means. We got rid of them. We got rid of them. Thank you. That's the verbiage that was used. But Will Forte and Andy Garcia, they had a surprising amount of chemistry, I thought. Well, they keep sort of alluding to the fact that Will Forte might be gay or, you know, uh, bisexual or something. And so he, what is that? He takes frequent trips to Palm Springs for research purposes. Yeah. Where he finds a fountain of two nude Greek men wrestling. Uh, Him and Andy Garcia definitely have some vibes at yeah. first they discover that they are both artists that he's into music he's going to build a studio for him but then they start singing duets together you know they lo- both love musical theater a haunting rendition of don't cry for me argentina where they That's look right. deeply into each other's eyes and what's the song that they sing at his daughter's quinceanera in front of everyone where Everyone, including Eva Longoria, gets vibes between the two of them. I don't know what the song was, but it was magnetic. And it's also shortly, too. I think it was a really interesting choice, too, that Caitlin Olsen and Will Forte never kiss in the show. They do this one thing one time where they come close to kissing and then they just end up rubbing cheeks and cheating out towards the camera. And 
you get the sense that they are partners. They are love each other. They are in it for the long run. Are they romantic? Physically intimate? We don't know. And it doesn't really matter because the stakes are higher without it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you get that they're soulmates, so who cares? You know, it's outside of a normal relationship, quote unquote, normal relationship, but that's fine. I mean, they're both very strong headed characters as well. Mm -hmm. So I think they're in a bit of a position too, where most people don't really put up with them the way that they enjoy each other's company. Yeah, they definitely put themselves as misunderstood people, but really they're just kind of a mess. But they also, and I think this was a really smart choice, generally they're not bad people and they're generally very nice and complimentary to not just themselves, but all of the, in most stories, villains that are around them too. It's a very sort of jovial atmosphere. And I thought that was interesting too when i saw who the show was created by it was co-created by damon jones and steve mallory and they've been involved a lot in some of the what i consider lower tier melissa mccarthy fair you know steve heat? mallory no no not the heat the heat's great I, i'm just wondering what you consider lower tier Melissa I'm considering yeah. the boss. I'm considering Tammy, super intelligence, things like that, where they put Melissa McCarthy in positions where she's just wholly unlikable and you're just supposed to be charmed because it's Melissa McCarthy, but the writing doesn't serve that. So when I saw these two on there and I looked through their credits, I was like, oh, is this going to turn into the two of these people just being like, bad to each other and the world around them. And I was like, no, I was kind of pleasantly surprised that obviously they basically have a gun to their head the entire run of the show. They have ankle bracelets that are keeping them in these big compounds, but they form seemingly genuine relationships with their captors. And it, it's not realistic, but it is silly and lighthearted and just really not mean-spirited, which I was grateful for from a tonal perspective. Yeah, I think that they keep the stakes high like a drama, but the characters stay true to themselves. It's really fish out of water, but it just keeps working out, and they're charming enough to bring the nice side out of uh, these gangsters. I think also going back to the Michael Scott in the office thing that makes the office a stronger show because of it, he's a good salesman. They're good at what they do. They dress really tacky and her hair's never that great. But, <laughs> and you know, Will Forte just has, he just looks funny with a mustache. He just looks funny. He always looks funny. It doesn't matter what he's doing. Even when he looks good, he looks funny. Yeah. I can't exactly describe it. But they're good at what they do, despite their eccentric personalities and their somewhat poor taste artistically otherwise. And I think that that endears us to them and keeps it all somewhat realistic. Yeah. 
it makes sense for the characters and that's all that needs to happen. Like the fact that when they are first tasked essentially with renovating Arturo Castro's house and they just got their blindfolds taken off and Arturo Castro is like, if you don't do this, I'm going to kill you. They look at each other and they're like, well, then we're just going to go all in on this. And they just start destroying things on the outside of the house. Yeah. Like Will Forte just like rips the shutters off of a window. He's like, oh, I didn't realize that we were in New Orleans. You know, like. Where are we? Savannah? Is a hurricane coming? (laughs) Well, they have their artistic integrity despite the guns to their heads. Mm -hmm. So in the first scenario with Arturo, it really works. It impresses him that they are so gung-ho about their stylistic choices. Whereas when we get to Andy Garcia's house and they start to rip apart the Dutch furniture in the beach house, then Eva Longoria is like, that was my idea. I don't appreciate what you're saying. And then they go from geniuses to another form of conflict, which is more interpersonal. And I thought that her dynamic with them right after Arturo being in love with everything that they do was really great growth from the story and gave them something else to do that wasn't the same. Absolutely. And I think that speaks to the sort of structure of how the episodes played out, especially again, compared to the dramas that we watched a couple weeks ago where everything just kind of bled together. There is a seven week time jump in between two of the episodes. I love that. I love that they actually, even though these stories were so short and ran together, that they actually let the characters be characters outside of when we see them. It made it work, I think, a lot more than it could have. If they spent seven weeks renovating Arturo's house and we saw the whole thing, it's not quite as exciting as us jumping ahead, them being good at their jobs, And then cutting to the fact that, hey, even though your debt's kind of repaid, we're actually just going to keep passing you around. Um, They do a really good job of just keep raising the stakes, even where where the show ends. By the end of it, they think that they're escaping Mexico to get their own home renovation show because they snuck a sizzle reel into these cartel houses. Then all of a sudden, the show ends with them being captured by being tricked by the FBI into now having to go back and be informants for them. Mm -hmm. And there was an undercover agent the whole time. Did you notice the guy playing the undercover agent was one of the Salamanca twins from Breaking Bad? I did. And it made me wonder if he played both of them for a second. I was like, no, 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 wait, those are two actual twins. So (laughs) that means they got just one of the Salamanca twins, which is a funny choice to me. Twins are separate people unless they are Kate Berlant's daughter in that one episode of the characters. Right, right. With uh, Miranda and Rebecca, who I know tangentially. Um, But it was nice to hear him speak. Yeah. He's got a voice. Look at that. He has a voice. (laughs) And he is his own person. Speaking of having a voice, we have a voice and we have some awards to give out. 
That's right, it's time for the Dunzo Awards. These are the superlatives that we give out to every show that we watch. It could be the best, it could be the worst, it could be on top, it could be on bottom, or it could be flipped. Whatever it may be, we have decided to give these shows their just desserts. Each of us get one Dunzo Award to give out per show that we are talking about today. Ian, what is your Dunzo Award? My homemade mantelpiece award goes to <laughs> the homemade mantelpiece that Jan makes out of desert objects he finds. Uh, him and Cricket are describing this ancient animal skull that they found natural, colorful glass in the desert from, and uh, the two guys that are helping them renovate the house are like that's just a dead dog there's a lot of dead dogs around here that's a meth pipe yeah oh and those are bullet casings actually a lot of meth addicts shoot dogs out here (laughs) (laughs) and it just really it was like a solid rule of threes comedy wise that they really built on in a great way because it all came back around it was like a really nice little scene where the show is built really well. It has a great foundation. They keep raising the stakes in a good way, but it also had these little pockets of a minute in this case where they just let them goof around mm-hmm. for a bit. Uh, this one, and then also there's a minute where Jan is trying to make a sports metaphor compared to what they're doing to the house. I can't exactly remember the circumstances, but he's like, it, 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 it's like, it's like a football. And the, the, the guy is, and, he, and they, they all wear the same outfits, right? They have the same color jerseys and they, they have the ball and they're trying to pass it or maybe they're kicking it and, and they, 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 they bring it onto the other side of the, and he just does this great. I don't know if he improvised it or not, but it was just they stayed on him for a minute and it was so much fun. It was a great piece for Will Forte and for Caitlin Olson. Both of them have had a hard time finding shows that highlight their talents well. And this was a great vehicle for both of them. Mm-hmm. I fully agree. Nobody stumbles over their words like Will Forte. That is for darn sure. And Caitlin Olsen actually got nominated for an Emmy for this show for actress in a short form comedy. That makes sense to me. It really Mm -hmm. does because I liked the Mick, which was her other show, but I didn't love it. Um, She was like a fully formed different type of character in this. Mm -hmm. I mean, still kind of a bad person. So not fully away from D, but you know, it was a much, it was, it was a great character for her. John, what's your first and only Dunzo for this show? My Dunzo Award is the Red, White, and Blaine Award. And that goes to the local original musical about the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory that is at the beginning of the show. Mm-hmm. So when we first meet Jan, he is the director of a middle school production, and they want to do Guys and Dolls. But he has, he's an artist. He has written music and lyrics, which are very difficult, as he tells Andy Garcia later. But the musical that he's written is called Children of the Fire. <laughs> and it's so dark. And it's just about basically about 
children that are on fire, at least from what we've seen. And then he brings in the other kids and they're like, oh, you're burning. You're burning. Everything is filling up with smoke. You can't breathe. And like none of the kids want to do it. I thought it was just such a wonderfully specific and involved detail of something that this person would latch onto and make art. Because if not him, then who? Who, Ian? Who would write a musical about the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory? Well, it's a real fire that happened that killed real 10 to 13-year-olds. So why shouldn't real 10 to 13-year-olds be singing about it and dancing about it mm-hmm. and telling the story in a middle school setting instead of doing guys and f-ing dolls for 10 to 20 more times? Yeah. They are artists. They need their canvas. Just as we are artists, I believe, and we have this canvas. And with our voices, we need to say whether we would or would not renew this show. Ian, use your voice. Find your truth. Would you renew this show? I would renew. Absolutely and emphatically. I really enjoyed it. I thought I knew what it was at the beginning, but then it had a lot of really fun twists and turns. Uh, It was a great vehicle for the two of them, like I've said. And I think this is like a perfect use of Quibi also. Um, Just like Memory Hole last week, it was short bites of fun scenes with good characters. It kept me interested without me needing to watch the next episode, I think. Mm -hmm. And it was just a great... I could have seen it being a movie. I could have seen it being a full-on TV show. And I also think that this way worked. It was a great script, I think, a great property. I think it's really funny. I I hope that somehow they can uh, keep these two characters going. I really, really, really enjoyed it. What about you, John? Would you renew? I would not renew. Okay, I'm going to flip that. I would renew. Okay. I see what I did there. I'm very happy with myself. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It wasn't something that made me laugh all the time. And I don't think that everything worked. But as you said, it did a really good job of keeping you engaged and keeping you entertained, keeping you on your toes. They take some really sort of hard left turns throughout the show. I mean, I think about where the show started and where it ended. And from start to finish, it's probably about 70, 75 minutes. But man, the journey that it takes us on in that time is really masterful. And I think is one of the things that was, like you said, when you have content that's built for the platform that it is debuting on, that elevates the structure and just makes it more entertaining overall. So I had a really, really good time watching this. And it actually ended with a cliffhanger, which is Mm -hmm. very unique, I feel like, too. For There were so many Quibi shows that I feel like hedged their bets and were like, oh, we could just tie this off with a bow and move on with our lives. But they left it open. They're like, you're going back to the cartel and you're going to keep modeling homes and you're going to be a spy for the DEA. That is something that 
I would have wanted to see because they already set this great world up, these very strong characters. And it was also just fun to see the sort of skewering of the home renovation reality show idea. I've gotten really into those shows since I've become a homeowner and I have become a lot more involved in just how things look. Speaking of, if you want uh, someone to make your home better, uh, check out Cottontail Nest, uh, Natalie O'Sullivan Hamilton's wonderful business that she has begun. Uh, We are reaping the benefits immensely at this point. But yeah, quick plug aside, this show made me laugh and that's all it needed to do. Uh, much like my wife's business, which you could just hire her once a week, every week for a year, and she could find a way to improve your home. This show, I could definitely see myself checking in every week to see what they're up to. They could do one-off episodes. They could keep the long story going. I don't care. I would have kept coming back. And it's not my favorite show in the world either, but it is compelling and funny and interesting and why not spend seven eight more minutes with them it's like a mint john i can pop in a mint enjoy it and then leave it alone or i could just keep eating mints you know yeah well i think we should leave this one alone and move on to our next show we'll be talking about kirby jenner right after this commercial break and now a word from our sponsors Okay, Ian, I'm going to do something that I've never actually tried to do. Kim, Chloe, Courtney, Kendall, Kylie, Chris, and Kirby. I think I've named all of the Kardashians, right? Kardashian Jenners? Sounds right to me. Uh, Did you say Caitlyn? No, I did not say Caitlyn. Okay. Well, she wasn't on this show, so it's okay. No, she was not. I was just trying to look at the poster that they gave for Kirby Jenner. Darn it. Well, anyway, we meet the long lost Jenner in our next comedy, Kirby Jenner. Ian, do you have, Ian, I was going to ask you a question about, do you have any relationship to the Kardashians? But I know the answer. No, you don't. You don't care at all. No, I think it's the most boring, vapid, useless nothing that you could put into your eyes and your brain. I have no idea why they're famous, why anybody cares about anything that they sell, why anyone follows them on Instagram. I have no clue what it is that people want to keep watching about them. And the show itself is a whole lot of B-roll. So what are you doing, people? Well, they decided to use some of that B-roll and make an entirely different parody show of it. Kirby Jenner was a Instagram personality. He calls himself like a performance artist, I guess. It's an account that started in 2015 where this guy whose name I was Googling and trying to figure out what this guy's actual name is, and I could not find it. So Kirby Jenner, if you are out there, We'd love to hear from you. But he essentially started Photoshopping himself into pictures with Kendall Jenner in 2015. 
And his thing was, oh, my fraternal twin, Kendall, she keeps cropping me out of these photos. And that was basically the joke. I looked at his Instagram today. He has 1.2 million followers. Oh, I'm looking at it right now. But he also hasn't posted since November of 2021. So it seems to be a character that is essentially now defunct. But at the time, Kirby Jenner essentially was this online personality, albeit a fake one. And with this following, he got the attention of the Kardashian Jenners. Kirby Jenner is a show that is exec produced by Kris Jenner and Kendall Jenner and essentially follows the sort of fake life of Kirby Jenner while basically cutting in real clips from keeping up with the Kardashians to make it seem like he's talking to the rest of the family. It seemed to me like some of it was cut that way, but it also seemed to me like some of it was really with them like yeah I was speculating like Natalie only caught a minute of it and she's like oh this is like the weird Al show where they take an interview and they cut him in to a TV yeah but then they cut the next shot of the conversation was really Kirby and Chloe or whoever it was and I was like no I thought that too but I think what happened was they were filming their show And every once in a while, they'd throw him in and they'd be like, okay, now we're filming this other thing right now for a second for let's just take 20 minutes out of the day of filming this other show and film a little bit of this pre-planned thing with this guy. Okay. Now the Kirby people, you go away and we're in the middle of our show again. Like, I, I think that's how they did it. And then they'd splice in maybe some some B-roll of other shows. I don't know. I'm speculating. I honestly don't think that that was the case. And I think it was just really impressive sort of green screen and Photoshop work because it does feel seamless. The one exception, though, is with the inclusion of Kris Jenner and Kendall Jenner. And again, I think that's because they were actually producers on the show. So he does actually like you when you rewatch the show, you realize that Kendall and Chris are really the only ones that reference Kirby, whereas every other talking head or any, every other conversation doesn't really recognize his existence. And the thing that I thought was really interesting about the show was that it did feel almost completely interchangeable because of all the vapidness that you just talked about with the Kardashian show in general, like these shows are so empty and it shines such a light on how empty these shows are that you could take whole conversations, take one of the people out, put it in a a completely different context and you cannot tell the difference at all. Yeah. This show had a lot of dead space for being seven minutes long. (laughs) You know, even just the uh, B-roll of Beverly Hills and shots over L.A. or whatever it is, I was like, this is 30 seconds right now. This is a chunk of the show. They're trying to make it look and feel so much like the actual Kardashian show that I think that their time was not managed very well. I think they could have done it and gotten more jokes in. I think that's fair, but I think they were also going for 
this show as parody and using that as a stylistic choice. And whether that worked or not, I guess we could find out in a couple minutes. But I do think that that was very purposeful. The general setup of the show over these eight episodes is building toward Chris Jenner's birthday party. And Kirby doesn't look like any of the other Kardashians. He's shorter. He's got a very big, thick mustache. He dresses a little weird, but he starts off as an amateur model, which I did really like the bit where he's at his first photo shoot and he can't stop saying cheese with his lips every time somebody tries to take a picture of him. Well, they say, say cheese, and he says cheese, and they're like, no, smile. And he's like, cheese, cheese, (laughs) cheese. But he does a good job, I think, of playing with these sort of clear power dynamics that there are within the Kardashian family. Like, he calls Kim, Courtney, and Chloe the council, (laughs) because everyone else is, like, not them. It's tough to get the big three in the same room at the same time. Let's go over some of the story highlights, John. I just want to go through, like, what are the actual adventures of Kirby Jenner? Because we start out with him trying to be a model, right? Then one of the storylines is he's trying to get Chris's birthday gift for her birthday party, which ends up being the last episode of the season. I would say, though, that, like, the bulk of the season is just that it's him trying various things to get a gift for her like he tries to give her some art because he knows that she's really into art but he ends up accidentally commissioning this very graphic nude statue of her that gets delivered and he's like this isn't gonna work he also tries to get her a sauna like a personalized sauna that you could fit inside your house. But Chris's boyfriend, Corey, gets her one of these saunas already, and it's painted matte black, so it's automatically way cooler than whatever Kirby was going to get her. (laughs) Yeah, I think it has her initials painted on it as well, but the Uh matte black is what they all seem to be obsessed with. And then we have the storyline of there's a pigeon, I think, in the... It must be from the actual Keeping Up with the Kardashians. It seemed like it, yeah. Yeah, where there's this pigeon that keeps coming onto their property that Kirby's like, I know the present I'm going to get her. I'm going to get rid of the pigeon. And eventually it turns into, I have to kill this pigeon. With And those are two separate episodes, I think. One, he's trying to scare it, and the other, he's trying to kill it. He ends one episode basically holding a flamethrower and he's like, I need to kill this bird. Yeah. And then that's how they always sort of transition it into the next episode. It's like, I realized what I need to do. And it's this thing. I need to torch this bird. I need to get Mark McGrath to play at my mom's birthday party, whatever it is. They set it up. And then the next episode delivers exactly that. He also has a, real murderer's row, I feel like, of people that show up for half a second in this six-minute show. I mean, here, let me just do a quick rundown of some of the famous people that we get in this show. Ray Romano's on a FaceTime. 
Tan France is hosting a podcast with Kirby. Angela Kinsey's playing hockey with Kirby. Ted Danson is learning Japanese with Kirby. Mark Ronson is teaching him how to play soprano sax. Jeff Ross is teaching him bad words. Tom Green is a bird expert, but not a pigeon expert. They are different. Tom Green likes birds, hate pigeons. And now we know this. I enjoyed the sort of running parade of people that were popping in and out of the show, mostly into the show. Yeah, I was really impressed with how many cameos they could get. Granted, half of them were like models or influencers or something that I didn't really know who they were. Right. But then when they got Tan and they got Ted and they got Jeff Ross and Tom Green, and I was like, wow, they pulled in a lot of favors here. <laughs> like, I mean, I can see Tom Green being on an episode, but what does Ted Danson have to gain from any of this? What made me think there was real overlap between this show and the real show was the last episode where they have Chris's birthday party and they're talking to Penn Jillette. Because I'm like, I could see Penn Jillette actually being at one of these parties. Why he would show up for this show, for this cameo, I don't know. But they probably know everybody and they can probably pull in every favor that they need, right? I mean, they're right. just powerful, powerful people. And again, you don't know like who likes what on social media, really. Ted Danson could be a fan of this account or just think that this performance art is weird enough that he wants to participate in it. Or... Hell, one of his kids likes it. You know, there's all these different things that when you have somebody that has cornered this very specific market that you're going to pull people out of the woodwork that you wouldn't think would be interested in this thing. But, hey, it could just be weird enough that they have some sort of stake in it and they want to be a part of it in that way. Yeah, so part of me was like, they have a lot of pull, or they were there already for a Kardashian thing, and I they really figured, don't think it's a minute in with Kirby. I really don't be, think Hey, it's it could be. There's a lot of, the speculation is worth it, because there is some form of camera witchery combined with <laughs> reality that they pull here, and it's pretty impressive. You know, like, I don't know what the actual answer is, and I don't care, but they, they pull it off well, you know? They do. Both of us were watching the show going, how did they do that? I was Googling like crazy, like trying to figure out what was real and what wasn't. And that is something that can, at the very base level, needs to be admired. Right. So what they did or what they didn't do, I don't really care. But the conversation, the fact that me and you have to speculate about it so much is pretty impressive. I got to hand it to them. Yeah. The fact that I have to tell you straight to your face how wrong you are. Uh, and not being fully convinced mm -hmm. that That's I right. am. You can't know if you're as right as you think you are, do you? I mean, I could say it with conviction, but what's in my heart? Who knows? A lot of evil. A lot of evil. I mean, just brimming with brimstone. Am I right? Does brimstone brim? Brimstone can brim, it can blossom, it can bloom. Okay. You know what else is blooming? My desire to hear... What your Dunzo Award is. We got one more Dunzo Award to give out in Quibuary. It is Quibuary 20 Quib, Quib o'clock in the Quib time zone. Ian, what Quib is your Quibzo? Uh, you forgot to say the Quib year, but the year of our Lord Quib year, year. -y. Anyway, 
my Dunzo Award is the Stalker Award, which I give to Beverly D'Angelo, which was by far my favorite cameo. I don't know why Beverly D'Angelo shows up every couple episodes to prey on Kirby's body and to, at the end, sort of insinuate that she's pregnant with his baby. I don't know why she's there. I don't care. It was a lot of fun. She shows up on a, was it a Segway or a scooter at the beginning? Oh, it's a Segway with a helmet. Yeah. Right. And she's, oh, I'm just on my regular Segway walks past the skate park, which Kirby was rollerblading on. So there was a funny visual there. The man likes to blade. Yeah. Then she's standing outside his in-house sauna unexpectedly. She just keeps showing up and it's just nice to see Beverly D'Angelo out there doing comedy. She's always funny, man. Uh, John, what's your Dunzo? My first Dunzo and only Dunzo of, and last Dunzo, RIP Quibuary. You were gone too soon. But my last Dunzo of Quibuary is the For Her Pleasure Award. And that is the light ribbing that we got to see at the Kardashians' expense throughout the show. Oh my God. What a journey it took to get there, but I'm... I'm glad we took the scenic route, John. Well done. <laughs> I just genuinely enjoyed some of the minor shots that were being taken at the Kardashians without making it so obnoxious as to probably alienate the fans of the show, which I am not one. But, you know, there's so many jokes you can say about the Kardashians, whatever. I like the sort of gentle ones like Kirby saying, Everyone else does important things besides me. Kendall models. Chris does business. Courtney is tall. Yeah. Or uh, another one where they're folding in this conversation of Chris Jenner talking about visiting a factory where they make sex dolls. And Kirby's talking about getting that for his mom. And he's like, I'm not going to get you a sex doll, mom. You already have Courtney. <laughs> Or even all the little times that they had a body double for Chris. Like, I can't even remember what it was. Oh, my gosh. No, that weakens her. And it shows her, like, army crawling across the floor. (laughs) Or she's so scared by the bird, she, like, doesn't have a heart attack, but something happens. and then She gets petrified, basically. There's this pigeon that is around the house, and they are about to stretcher her away, but they can't stretcher her out, so they just leave her lying on the stretcher in the middle of the yard and Kirby brings out a lamp and like some tea and a book to read. Yeah. that Those were both great bets for sure. Yeah. So it was definitely very incisive and specific, but also not so obnoxious and obvious that I felt like I had heard a lot of these jokes before. Also as non-watchers, we could get the joke as well. Absolutely. Yeah, it wasn't, there was definitely stuff that clearly felt specific to the show itself, but there were also things for people that weren't watching that didn't feel too aggressive. And it had a nice sort of playful tone. But did we like that playful tone? Ian, would you renew Kirby Jenner? I would not renew i really like the character he did a great job there were funny jokes and funny bits but ultimately i think 
three minutes worth of funny is not worth the five minutes worth of B-roll filler and Kardashian nonsense that I have to put up with. So, no, I I can't. I did uh, like the bite-sized nature of it, though. I thought it was a good attempt at a show. I think that it's cool that they could make it in partnership with the actual Kardashians, but it probably would have been funnier if they didn't produce it themselves, if it was produced by somebody else that could truly see them for what they are and just go to town on not only the family, but the show in a way that I think that they need to be. Uh, John, would you renew? I disagree with almost everything you just said, and I also would not renew. Huh. Because I realized that I appreciated and admired what they were trying to do more than I actually enjoyed it. Which is what you said about the Batman. Continue. (laughs) That is true. And I stand by that statement as well. I just wanted to point it out. Same words. Yeah, I I get it. I I go back to the same well. And sometimes that well is poorly lit as it was in the Batman. I made fun of you for saying it at first. And the more I watch things, the more I get it. So I hate you for being right about that. I appreciate it. I admire it. I don't enjoy it. And you're right. And I hate that you're right, John. Yeah, I'm insightful, but I'm also repetitious. I only have so many words in my brain that can be held there in that tiny, tiny thing. I didn't think that it fully worked as a parody, and I didn't think that it was funny enough to have some momentum. Again, when you have something that's built on a concept, you need to give it some legs and It's a thing that felt like a parody account that was stretched into a seven-minute show. As that, though, it did exceptionally better than I thought it ever could because of the technical wizardry and the clear sort of love for the genre and appreciation for what they do while also still giving it, you know, that little jab on on the shoulder Because I do not think that this would have worked at all if it was coming from somebody that was doing it out of malice. And that's where I think having them as producers and having them cooperating with the show actually elevated the show. Because there was a version of this where it could have been super mean and we could have just been making fun of the Kardashians all the time. But what they were doing was they were making fun of the genre and they were making fun of the show itself. And... On that level, I think it succeeded, but is it something that I would continue watching? No. If it was the same people doing this and they were doing, let's just say, below deck, I would have loved it. (laughs) But it's the Kardashians. Let's just throw a random show out there that I've watched 350 hours of. Let's just say it. I would enjoy that more. But as Kardashians, nah, not for me, but great effort. No, I guess I don't mean something with total malice that like hates them. I think something that this was a little too close to the genre as opposed to something that I think would would be more of a parody of it as opposed to be riding its bike right side al- along it. Like what's the Bachelor uh, parody, Burning Love? Oh, yeah. So good. Right. 
but it's so much like making fun of not just the show, but the genre. It's quicker. You know, there's a lot of over the top bits or whatever. This show as a, it's not quite a parody because it's too similar to it to yeah. me. And, and, and I think that's the crux of my issue. And I wasn't sure if this show was to bring fans of the Kardashians over or to convert people that don't watch them already. Do you know what I mean? It was a weird middle ground to me. It was kind of both and kind of neither. Right. But I like the idea of clearly this guy's got a voice. He's got a point of view, even if it is in relation to somebody that is obviously more famous. Give him a voice. Give him a platform. See what he does with it. That as a concept is something I can definitely stand behind. Yeah, me too. And the character. I don't think, right. I just don't think it fully works in the way that they wanted it to. Agree. But do comedies work in general on Quibi? Let's discuss that right after this commercial break. And now a word from our sponsors. Of the genres that we have covered during Quibuary, I think that comedies worked better on Quibi than any of the other ones. Yeah, I agree with you. I get the drama thing that they were going for, but like we talked about, I don't know who's trying to watch any meaningful or overly exciting drama on a bus by themselves. Um, if you did watch hashtag free Rayshon on a bus, we'd love to just kind of check in on you. Maybe send you a bunt cake. Please something. email us. Please email us. We'll, I don't even care if we record the interview. We no. just want to talk to you about your experience. We want to know you're okay. Um, we want to get you the help you need. <laughs> that too. Uh, and then what else do we have? The competition series. Uh, those were fine, but didn't quite work, especially floored, but that was just a bad show. Um, what did we cover last week again? What did reality. We the reality shows, I think, were close, um, but the comedies were the ones that really hit for me. I can yeah. see us enjoying comedy in these little bite-sized snippets, mm-hmm. and we have some time. We're trying to kill some time. We're on a bus. We check in. We enjoy our time with those characters. We check out. And we yeah. just keep checking in on these scenarios and these characters whenever we have time. And I think that that is the perfect way to ingest Quibi. And I think that it is the perfect forum for it. And I appreciate that there was a lot of production value put into both of these shows mm-hmm. as opposed to just watching short comedy on YouTube or something like that. Like yeah. these shows definitely had what Quibi has to offer as opposed to what you could get somewhere else. Absolutely. It felt more tailored to fit a need that wasn't necessarily there before. I think a lot about these shows in relation to do you remember that 130 rock bit where they talk about the 30 second sitcom on nbc.com where it's called making it work and somebody just like comes through a door 
And they're like, honey, I'm home. And the woman's like, oh, great. And it just says, we made it. And that's the entirety <laughs> of the sitcom. But obviously that's a parody, but it still speaks to what you need from comedy sometimes. You just need to get in, get a quick laugh, get out, move on with your day. Comedies, I think, are so built for this space that Quibi was trying to corner, which is low stakes, some investment, fast entertainment. Let's deposit that check at the bank and go home, please. Whereas you just can't sustain that investment over a longer period of time when you have something that either doesn't have legs, cough, cough, floor, or something that feels so high stakes and tense that you lose all momentum when you take any break away from it, like some of the dramas there. This felt like a nice balance of the two of those extremes. Yeah, it was exactly what it was supposed to be, I think. And I could see plenty of people enjoying Kirby and uh, that show going on to succeed also you know i think if you're more of a reality fan than i am that you probably would like it and you probably would get a kick out of the character and everything that they're doing it was just that for me flipped was a perfect combination of funny characters great actors good concept elevated stakes but also a world that we can just keep playing in kind of forever. Yeah. And I think Kirby could have been that way too. I don't know. Maybe it is, but for building a world and sustaining it over the course of time, I think that flipped was what they should have done with everything else. I, I, I completely agree with that. Yeah. Make it sexy, make it snappy, make it count, make it work. Designers. But mostly make it sad, John, as we have now come to the end of Quibuary. And I was wondering if you have any final thoughts before we close the casket. Any, what did you think of Quibi as a whole? What did you think that the world could learn from this experience? What did they do right? What did they do wrong? What do you think? Ian, you asked a lot of questions, and I'm probably going to answer about two. Here we go. Quibi, I do think that you died too young. I think that there was a place for the kind of content that you were putting out there into the world. I think that we sometimes want something that's a little bit more polished, that is a little bit more fleshed out, that is going to fit into these quick bites, if you will that are in our lives. However, for the most part, you biffed it real hard. You fell flat on your face and you overestimated the value that people will place onto this thing that in general, just kind of sort of sometimes half elevates the thing that they're already getting from everything else that they subscribe to. So you died like a jackass but you live on in our hearts. Ian, do you have any final thoughts for Quibi at this, the final 
quib of our quibisode? Quibby, we learned so much from you. Much like Tommy Wiseau <laughs> trying to film a movie with an HD camera next to a film camera, <laughs> your technology did and meant nothing to anybody. <laughs> and it went nowhere. And I don't know if anyone's ever going to be able to apply it to anything. So bad job on that. You underestimated what people get out of the phone watching experience, which is that they actually do it for a two screen experience. Mm -hmm. It's not to focus on something. It is to not focus on something else. Preach. Right. And also 90% of your editing was awful. (laughs) You generally cut through anything that was interesting too quickly and held too long on a lot of dead air. And I think that goes across genres for you. And I don't know what you were. You did push some innovation. You did push some interesting storytelling that I think the writers of the world could take into the rest of the 21st century as we are changing from a two-hour, 90-minute movie medium to a 30-minute comedy medium to a whatever the hell is going to hold our attention for the next 80 years. I don't know what it is, but it ain't this. You tried. You spent a lot of money that could be better spent elsewhere. So I guess what I'm trying to say is if you're trying to invest in anything, Invest in one and done TV. (laughs) Venmo, Hamilton, any amount of money you want. (laughs) And, you know, send us money so we can keep making stuff here at a very low price instead of paying a lot of money to make a lot of dog shit. Quibby, you investors. God. Those are my thoughts. Well, we hope you feed our beast. And we'll be back next week feeding the beast with the show Feed the Beast. Swimmer, it's swimmer time. Swim on, swim away. My goodness, what a glorious quibuary it has been. We will see you next year for quibuary two. Oh, it's happening. Did you notice that in Flipped, they referenced Roku like two times? And I was like, did they know they were going to be sold to Roku? Sometimes. The shows you love will let a spark in your heart. Brought to you by Lack of Hustle Media.